that. Grab your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Luke. The book of Luke. I think I, I shared with you last week that this is the last month we'll be in the book of Luke. Some of you, uh, like your whole high school experience, we've been in the book of Luke. <laughs> so you're like, when I started sixth grade, we were in Luke, and now I'm almost done with the eighth grade, and we're still in Luke. But we love the book of Luke, let me just tell you. But we're almost done. Where are we going next? Oh, wouldn't you like to know? I've got a couple books of the Bible uh, toying around with the idea of an Old Testament book. Um, also, a couple other little series ideas we got before we jump in. But we love going verse by verse. If you're new to our church, we love going verse by verse through the scriptures. And uh, it forces this pastor to preach some things that maybe he wouldn't. And we trust the Holy Spirit is leading us in that. So, in Luke chapter 21, is where we're going. Luke chapter 21, we talked about the widow's offering last week. Now, today... We're going to switch gears and just like pretty powerful switch. As as we think about um, the end times and we think about the return of Christ, this subject isn't new to Pathway, but just think about the Old Testament. There's over, listen to me, there's over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament about Jesus' coming. And a little over 100 of those are about his first coming. Everyone remember that when that was? We celebrate it around Christmas time. And that's Jesus' first coming when he was a, just a wee little baby, right? And there's over 200 prophecies in the Old Testament pointing to his second coming. And that's when Jesus Christ is going to come back. And, uh, and, and there's going to be a, the first part of that is the rapture of the church. And then there will be a tribulation. I'll show you. The, the, I know all of you like, could you throw that prophecy, that end times chart up one more time for me, Scott? It's coming. Just give me a couple minutes. I'll get there. But, uh, but yeah, so, so there's going to be the tribulation, and then uh, God's, I mean, we'll, we'll take a look at it, but it's going to be pretty awesome. So, so here's, here's where we find ourselves, though. We understand this is, this is coming. If, if there's a hundred prophecies in the Old Testament about his first coming, and that was proven true, I believe the other 200 plus in the Old Testament about his second coming are going to prove to be true as well. Can I just declare to you the title of my message today, and the truth is this, Jesus is coming. He's coming. Are we ready? And as we get to Luke chapter 21, we see Jesus is teaching at the temple. Remember with me this. This is the last week of Jesus's life. I mean, we're days away. Take a look at the temple. Now, uh, we're lucky enough that someone grabbed a quick selfie with the temple uh, 2,000 years ago before it was destroyed, and we have this great picture, and it's just wonderful, no, this is kind of a mock-up, but this is close to exactly what it would look like. Um, when, when you think about the fact that uh, the, the, this is the last, I, I would put this on Tuesday. Jesus is dying on Friday, right? He's being crucified. Thursday night, he's being arrested. And um, the trial, and Friday, Jesus is on the cross dying for our sins. And this is Tuesday. Now, some, some Bible teachers would say, well, this is more Wednesday. I, I think Wednesday was a day of rest for them. That's my personal opinion. But so this is just a couple days, our, our passage of Scripture here. Jesus and the disciples have been hanging around here at the temple. They say this is about 15 football fields in size. This is the temple proper. If you go into that center section, that is uh, um, uh, the, the temple proper right there in the middle. That's like where the Holy of Holies was. And, and I'm not going to take a whole lot of time to explain it, but I thought this was kind of a cool picture to take a look at. It was outstanding. It was beautiful. 
And if you think Indiana limestone is amazing, this was amazing looking. It was, it was absolutely beautiful. Well, so we catch up with the disciples and Jesus in Luke chapter 21. Look at verse 5. Some of the disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus said, as for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. Teacher, they asked, when will these things happen and what will be the sign that they are about to take place? Let's just stop right there. Jesus and his disciples would leave Jerusalem. I, I, look, I'm guessing every, every evening. So this week, Jesus is hanging out in Jerusalem. Where would he go to sleep? Local Motel 6, the, uh, the Essen House Inn. I mean, what, what was there in Jerusalem? Where would they go to sleep? Well, it looks like what they would do is they would withdraw from Jerusalem and they would walk to Bethany. You might remember there was this guy named Lazarus and Mary and Martha. And there's a family that Jesus was really close to. And so we can assume Jesus probably walked back to Bethany with the disciples and hung out there overnight, food, uh, lodging, that type of thing. So let's go on a walk with Jesus, can you? Let, let's go on a walk with Jesus. Just imagine with me, Jesus is, is walking along um, uh, and, and, and um, having this discussion. And, and, and um, Jesus suddenly, in fact, I think it's Mark's gospel, tells it was specifically Peter, James, John, and Andrew, starts giving them, uh, um, asking Jesus this question, or just making comment about, isn't this beautiful? Take a look at this. This this temple is absolutely gorgeous, Jesus. Let's just take in this moment for a while. Maybe one of them, I mean, every group has one of them, you know. Uh, one of them that's just a little more touchy-feely, a little more just in, in tune with their emotions. And I don't know if it was maybe John or Andrew. Or just, let's just take in the moment for a second. And, and it, was, it was kind of that kind of a moment of, let's, this is, let's make sure we don't miss how gorgeous, how beautiful this is. And then Jesus says, aha, yeah, that thing right there, that thing is going to be rubble and in just about 40 years that thing is going to be gone it's going to be destroyed and so the disciples were like say what i mean what's going on <laughs> and so jesus then um begins to answer the question in fact in verse 7 we see the questions recorded in luke teacher they ask when will these things happen and, and what will be the sign that they're about to take place stop for a second if you just see that question and then you start to read Jesus' response, you kind of think, did I miss part of the question? Well, let me read. It won't be on the screen, but let me read the parallel passage in the book of Matthew where it records a little more clarity, I believe, of the questions they were asking. As Jesus was sitting on the mountain, all the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your... When will this happen? When will this, this place be destroyed uh this temple when will the sign of your coming and the end of the age when will that be what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age so they're asking jesus okay so uh what's this gonna what are the signs how can we know that something's up now what i'm getting ready to teach you there's debate on what part of the end times is this now, where I'm at, where we're, we're at as a church, we believe that verses 5 through verse 19 are pre-rapture, pre-tribulation. And if that means nothing to you, hang on just a moment, because we'll get to my chart in a second. But we believe that that. So, so Jesus is saying, hey guys, th here's some things that we can look at that you can see and know that my return, my second coming. Remember, Jesus already came the first time he was born, right? 
He came, lived on earth, died on the cross, rose again. He says, I'm coming back. And that second time, he's going to come back. His feet aren't going to hit the ground, but he's going to come back, and all of us that are believers are going to rise to go to be with him. It's called the rapture of the church. There'll be seven years of tribulation, and then he's coming back, and he's coming back in, in fury and in power. Um, we'll, we'll, I don't want to get ahead of myself. But there's five words that I want to throw at you. In fact, grab your notes in the back of your seats, if you would. Five words, and those of you who are online, can I encourage you, maybe uh, grab them off the Facebook page, or actually that'll only point you to our website, pathwaychurchlife.com, and you can download these, and I'm sure you all have printers. You know what those things are. You click it, and it prints paper. It's amazing. You can have one of those, and you can follow along as well. Five words to help us understand Jesus' answer to their question. When and what will, be, will the signs be like? Okay, let's jump back to verse 6. As for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. As everybody reached for their phone to make sure it was on mute. Let me read that again. As for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. First word, D word, ready? Destruction. I even gave you some extra letters in there. Destruction. Fill that in, will you? Jesus says there's going to be destruction of the temple. History records this did happen in around 70 A.D. Why did they destroy that beautiful temple? By the way, it's so great to see some of you who we haven't seen for so long. It's great to have you guys back. And welcome, 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 welcome. I know I've seen several of you trickle back over the past uh, few weeks and, and uh, just kind of feel like it's time. So I just want to say welcome. It's good to have you guys back. Um, but destruction. Now let's talk about destruction. Um, what they had to do with destruction, I don't know. But Jesus said the temple's going to be destroyed. Check this out. So um, the Jews, uh, people in Jerusalem, they're going to, uh, um, they were frustrated because of taxes, really. It came down to taxes. So finally, the Jewish people are like, okay, we're going to revolt. You know, freedom. And, then, and so they stood up to the Roman Empire. They stood up, and Rome didn't like it. So you know what they did? They came all through Israel, and they swept through Israel, and they, uh, they just defeated uh, uh, the Jewish nation, and they got to Jerusalem, and they destroyed the temple, literally. It turned to rubble. In fact, the picture you're seeing right now, check this out, that's actually a good friend of mine right now, just joking, that, that's a guy on Google, <laughs> got the picture off Google, it's a great picture though, but it shows you that rubble right there has been sitting there for 2,000 years. Why do you get so excited? Because someday, when you and I go to Israel, we're going to walk past that. We're going to see that. Imagine with me that this path right here could very well even been the very path that Jesus and the disciples were walking along when they had their little discussion of how beautiful the temple was. But the temple was destroyed, so there was going to be destruction. And Jesus said there would be a day when this temple would be demolished, and it happened. His word was proven true. Second D word, D word. Look, in your, look in your notes. It's found in verse 8. He replied, watch out that you are not deceived, for many will come in my name claiming I am he, and the time is near. Do not follow them. Here's the word, deception. Deception. When it comes to the end times, there are many that will come and say, I'm the special one. I'm the one. Follow me. I have a special message. We see this in many cults and, and uh, uh, um, even, even in modern day. Uh, I almost said weirdos, but you probably shouldn't say that. But mo modern day people, uh, even like the David Koresh's of society and, and people like that, that 
um, that they, I'm going to say something here, and some people might get offended, particularly others may be watching online or whatever, but um, the, the Jehovah Witness, um, it's a cult. It's, uh, you know, I'm not saying they're not nice people, but their, their belief system is off. Um, the Church of Latter-day Saints, um, the Mormons, there's things that maybe politically we can come alongside and say, oh, well, we kind of agree on these things. But when you get down to their doctrine, it's a cult as well. And I know um, many people would debate that. But when you really get down to their doctrine, it, it doesn't line up with, with Orthodox Christianity. And so, and these, these movements were all started by what? People who had these great visions, these great things. And some, some who even said, I am now the Messiah. And Jesus says, Listen, watch for this kind of thing. Many are going to come trying to deceive you. It's going to be deceitful. Jesus says, watch out for them. Don't follow them. The, the next thing I want to show you is in verse 9. Look with me. Verse 9. When you hear wars and revolutions, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines, pestilences in various places, and fearful events and great signs from the heaven. Next D word, fill this in your notes, is disaster. Disaster. Jeez, you know, when there's wars, especially when there are big wars, many people think this might be the big one. This is it. Jesus is coming. Well, Jesus is like, you know, there's going to be wars, but the end's not going to come right away. Let's make sure we read the scripture. Let's just read it again. When you hear of wars and revolutions, it's going to happen. There will be wars and revolutions. Do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. So the, if, the, if there was a, a third world war between China and America or Korea, whatever it is, I, in, in, yeah, it's happening, but that doesn't necessarily mean like, oh, Jesus is coming now. Well, Jesus says, you're going to have wars. In fact, um, this isn't scriptural, but I think uh, some would say humanity only knows how to fight. And some, some would say, uh, someone said, peace is merely that time when everyone stops to reload. Now, that's kind of, uh, kind of uh, funny a little bit, but not so funny a little bit, right? But you think about all of humanity, all of humanity, there's always been wars. I don't like wars. None of us like wars. If you like war, there's something wrong. I mean, we, we don't, but there are times when there's a righteous fight, so th- we got to do something. I'm, I'm not going to go into a theology of war right now, but just know this. Jesus says, there's going to be wars, and it's going to happen. There's going to be earthquakes. Um, it shouldn't surprise you when, when we hear of earthquakes uh, because we've seen them. In, in record since 1900, we can expect around 16 earthquakes a year that are above the magnitude of seven. It seems like seven is kind of the magic number. Once you get an earthquake at seven or above, then it's going to do some major damage. Um, and so um, I, I'm not talking from my own expertise, um, but the United States uh, government services and others would say that there's about 16 earthquakes a year that end up being above that magnitude of seven. In 2014, the Geological Society of America said the annual number of great earthquakes nearly tripled over the last decade. What's that mean? Well, between 2004 and 2014, 18 earthquakes with magnitude of 8.0 or more rattled um, uh, places around the globe. That's that's an increase of 265% over the average rate of the previous century which saw 71 great quakes. What are you saying, Scott? All I'm saying is it looks like the statistics are in favor of earthquakes. There's more earthquakes happening. Now, I know there's skeptics among us say, well, how did we measure 
all the earthquakes around the world 100 years ago. I, I understand that. I understand that. 150 years ago, we have, we have techniques now that we can measure so much easier. But suffice to say, even in the, uh, in the times when we can measure things like this, it does look like there's more activity happening. There's also, the scripture mentions famines. Have you ever been concerned about a famine hitting America? I mean, I, I honestly, I, I can't, that's, of all the things I think about hitting America, that's one of them that I'm not so sure I ever, ever get concerned about. But it, it, is, it happens, it, it has happened. In 1815, there was the summer that never was. I don't know if you ever, excuse me, 1816. I don't know if you ever heard about it. I didn't hear about it until I was doing some research for this message. But in April of 1815, Mount Tambora exploded in a powerful eruption that killed tens of thousands of people in an Indonesian island of Sumbawa. You can Google this later later, because we know everything on Google is true. Um, but that happened in 2015, and it messed up the, uh, the system of our weather here in the United States in 2000, or, excuse me, 1816. And in 1816, in most of the nation, there was no summer, um, and it killed the crops. It was a famine, whatever. Why do you say that? Uh, because I want to I just make you think I'm so smart because I know all these statistics. No. I'm just saying it because it could and can happen. So there'll be famines, Jesus says. Jesus is simply saying the disasters will happen. Now, the one that caught my eye was the word pestilence. In fact, it says there will be pestilences. The definition of a pestilence is any infectious, fatal disease that is widespread or an evil influence. Do I need to read that again? Just even that last part, I agree, I agree. For those of you at home, someone just shouted, nope. And I, that last, an evil influence? Guys, what? Jesus is coming. The signs are clear. Jesus is coming. And I think very well that this whole COVID-19 trash could very well, uh, is, is just another, another sign to just point to the fact that we need to be ready. Jesus is coming. Scott, I've grown up in church. I've heard preachers say that my whole life. And let me tell you something. They were exactly right. And the longer you live, the closer we are, obviously. There's going to be fearful events, Scripture says. Great signs from heaven. 2,000 years ago, what would have been a great sign from heaven? Well, today, it's a lot easier for us to know. I mean, be asteroids coming down from the, the sky. Um, it, there's all kinds of things that, that we can imagine things happening in the, in the heavens, great signs from the heavens. Um, do they have to be natural? I mean, uh, could this even be uh, warlike uh, um, materials? We don't know, but there's going to be signs. All of this, mind you, only means that history is moving toward a single, final, God-planned goal, the creation of a new heaven and a new earth. Disaster's coming. Um, that's where we're spiraling down to. Glad I came today, Scott. Thanks for the encouragement. How about verse 12? Look at verse 12. But before all this, they will lay hands on you and persecute you. They will deliver you to synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors, and all on account of my name. That's key right there. All on account of my name. This will result in your being witnesses to them. Next D word, fill it in. Distress. Distress. There's going to be persecution. Now, it's, it's not going to be anything like the tribulation, the seven years of tribulation. 
Um, which, let me just toss this out there. There are people that would believe that the verses I'm teaching on this morning are the first half of the tribulation. The first three and a half years are going to be what it's talking about here. I don't believe that. I'm not going to go into exactly why. Um, but before we are raptured up, before we're raptured up, there's going to be a, a time of distress. You can know that the, the Lord's return is coming even closer because there will be some persecution. Is that what we're facing right now in our country? I don't know. But the fact of the matter is, Jesus says it. So let's, But what I really want, want to focus in on is verse 12. The end of verse 12, look at it. It says, on, and all on account of my name. Let's make sure. Make sure that we are, at, if there's ever a time for you and I to be committed to being followers of Christ, committed to the fact that this is the word of God, committed to the fact that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the only way to get to God. Let's make sure right now is that we are committed to his name. Because hear me, church, there is a division that's coming in churches, and there's a division that's already here in believers. Those who don't believe are going to get weaker. Those who just come to church and they're just kind of by name only, they're getting weaker. Whole churches, you're going to watch over the next few years, whole churches that, that refuse to declare this to be the word of God, that Jesus is the way, the truth, the only way to get to God. Whole churches, you're going to watch it over the next few years. They're, they're, they're going to just, be, they're going to just go, go to the wayside. But those believers who are committed to all on the count of my name, on the, they hold on to the name of Jesus and the truth of the word of God. You watch, God is going to do the supernatural through us. And I say us because I'm including you in this. It, this is the kind of church we long to be. A church committed and devoted to God. Devoted to his word. Devoted to scripture. To the fellowship. To the prayer. To the breaking of bread. Jesus Christ, the cross, the resurrection. That's the church we are. Let's make sure you are devoted. Because you're going to have all kinds of opportunities to weaken your stance. You're going to have all kinds of opportunities to say, well, maybe that's not that big of a deal. There's going to be clubs started at our local high schools that, that are, are, are going to be, that are not going to line up with Scripture. And we have to decide, how are we going to react to that? What are we going to do? Are we going to weaken our stance, or are we going to do the most loving, grace-filled, Jesus thing is to stay true to what we know is truth? Do you understand what I'm saying? We, it's not time to weaken our stand. We can do it in love. We can do it in mercy. We don't have to be dipsticks about this. But there's a way to stand for truth and not get weak in the knees about what truth is. There's a way to stand for truth and, and do it in a loving manner. And if people don't like us for that, we've got to be willing to take that. If people get mad at us for standing for truth, if people get mad at us because we took a stand all on the count of the name of Jesus, then we got to be willing to take that. Come on, are you with me? We've got to be willing to take that and say, hey, because I'm going to stand before God one day, and I'd rather stand before the Lord and say, listen, hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the Come, 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 well done than to say, depart from me, I never knew you. Because uh, when, when it was time for you to take a stand on account of my name, 
you denied me. You weakened your state. You walked away from me. Now's not a time to weaken. Now's the time to stay firm in what we know is truth. Now let me bring up the end times chart real quick just to show you this. This isn't, this isn't uh, um, uh, absolutely perfect, but let me just tell you where we're at. Right over here, see where it says Israel's reestablished? Jesus' is first coming, we call that Christmas. And then there's the church age, that's where we're at, and Israel's reestablishment right there. What we're talking about is like right before the rapture of the church. You see the rapture line here, Jesus' is second coming, I call it phase one, where he comes down and he takes all of the believers. The Bible says that we who are in Christ are going to rise to meet him in the air. We're going to go to be with the Lord. It's going to be awesome. And then we have, here on earth, there's going to be seven years of the worst fighting, wars, all kinds of horrible things. Seven years of tribulation. The first three and a half are going to be bad. The second three and a half are going to be even worse. And then Jesus is coming, the second phase. He's coming back, the battle of Armageddon. Sheep and the goats, Satan's going to be bound. It's going to be a, a millennial reign of Christ. And eventually we're going to get into a new heavens and a new earth. Listen, I'm not going to get all political to you. By the way, if you want this, I can email this to you um, in, in the JPEG form. But um, we, we can talk about is, is, um, is there global warming? We can talk about uh, uh, all these uh, ideas that uh, we're causing the destruction. Let me tell you, this earth as we know it is going to be destroyed. But it's not going to be at the hands of man. It's going to be the hands of Almighty God. And he's going to create a new heavens and a new earth. And it's going to be amazing. That's where we're headed eventually. But right now, right here's where we're at. We're talking about heading right up. How do we know that that rapture is coming closer? Jesus is saying, these are some of the signs. Now let's finish this up, verse 14. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers, relatives, and friends, and they will put some of you to death. All men will hate you because of me, but not a hair of your head will perish. By standing firm, you will gain life. You're going to have opportunities as time grows closer where you're going to, you're, you, there's going to be people that are going to turn on you. you might, there might even um, be times when, when you're going to stand for truth and you could be arrested. You could be, and what am I going to say? How am I going to get myself out of this one? Well, God says, trust the Holy Spirit. That's why it's so awesome. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you at salvation. You have the Holy Spirit leading you, guiding you, filling your mouth. Some of you, you're getting ready to go to college this fall. Um, I was talking to someone before service, and, and, and you're even in high school, whatever, and you're like, I don't even know what to say. Let's, let's step out in faith and let the Holy Spirit fill you as you're in discussions in class, as you're in discussions um, uh, with a professor who might be absolutely against any kind of a biblical thought on, on, on what's truth. Let's trust the Holy Spirit to fill your mouth, to stand for truth. Let me toss something out to you. And, I, and I, even in my research this week, I found this, um, the United Kingdom. This wasn't like a, uh, this, this was the government of the United Kingdom. This was the report that they put out in 2020. The International Society for Human Rights estimates the worldwide Christians are believed to be targets of about 80% of all acts of religious discrimination and persecution. You see that on the news? Maybe not so much because we have a free country here and let's work our tails off to make sure 
that we do everything we can as citizens that we continue to have that freedom. That's a right thing to, to push for. But I want you to know worldwide, worldwide, if, if you say, what's the most, uh, the religious group that's the most pushed against them, I would probably say the Muslims. I, w- I would probably say, we, we even have some missionaries that are in Germany right now that all these Muslims have, have immigrated to Germany and they're doing their best to win them to Christ and to, uh, uh, how awesome is that? But I would have said, uh, that's what I would have said. But this report showed that 80% of religious persecution in the world is against Christianity. Now they throw Catholics in there and, and you know, it's, it's kind of a wide swath of, of Christianity. Um, but th- just let that sink in. Persecution, it may happen. It, it probably is happening and there's gonna be coworkers are gonna turn on you, family's gonna turn on you. And the Bible says there's gonna be an increase. Let me jump to the last D word. In fact, we're gonna find this in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse eight through 10. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse eight through 10. Look on the screen or you can turn there, but do not forget this one thing. Earlier on in verse three, first of all, you must understand that in the last days, he's talking about the last days. Now, verse eight of chapter three. Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord's not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Let's stop right there for a second. Why hasn't Jesus come? Okay, Scott, if Jesus is coming back, why doesn't he come right now? I'll tell you exactly why. Because he wants everyone to repent. Why hasn't he come? Because today there's people in this room watching online that he wants you to receive Christ. He wants you to put your faith in Christ. There are people today in this room who who have heard the gospel, yet you you have not put your faith completely in Jesus Christ. And he's waiting for you. He's waiting for you. He's being patient for you. But all that being said, look at verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come. The day the Lord comes back, that second, it's going to come. It's going to come like a thief. You're not going to expect it. Yeah, there's some signs, some things we can watch. But look, it's very clear. You're not going to have any idea. You and I will have no idea when that day will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with the water. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. It's coming. The second coming is coming. And we're one step closer today than any other generation that's ever lived. His word says, God's word says, Jesus is coming. Jesus' words literally say, I'm coming. This is what it's going to look like. The signs of the times say he's coming. One more thought I'll just toss out there. It's Mark chapter 13, verse 10. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Look at that. Now, there's a lot of theological thoughts on this, but let me just tell you what I know. Let me just tell you what I know. Wycliffe, have you ever heard of Wycliffe? It's an organization that goes out to tribes that have yet to hear the gospel and will figure out their language and then write scriptures in their language. Their goal in 1999, I believe, they set a goal by 2025 that there would be scripture in every in, in every language of, the, of every, every person on the earth. I haven't quite got an update on how that's doing, but I know that was their goal. I heard myself, Pastor Craig Rochelle, Life Church, some of you even this morning at home or here in the building, you're on your phones using the Bible app. The Bible app, do you know that that was created by a local church just like ours? A local church just got together, what if we could do this? And now there's like millions and millions of downloads of that app 
But Craig Rochelle, the pastor of that church, Life Church, has they set a goal, and they believe that by 2033, they could have 99.9% of all languages in Scripture on their app. That's the goal they've set. And they believe it's attainable. So are you saying Jesus is coming in 2033? Well, I might write a book. We'll see. Uh, be getting close to retirement age, you know. Is it? No, I don't know. All I'm saying is there's signs. There's signs, and let's, uh, let's follow. So how do I respond to this? Okay, let's just let's land this airplane. Here we go. I'm, I'm actually going to go to 1 Peter chapter 4 real quick. What's my response? In your notes, fill this in, would you? Number one, I should think biblically clear and self-controlled. Look at the screen. 1 Peter 4, 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. I should think biblically. Let's make sure that we don't take on the thought processes of the world about our family, about our marriages. Right now, now is the time to be even more committed to I want to think the way the Bible thinks. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Let's think biblically. The second thing is this. I think there's a space in there. I should focus on relationships. Relationships. 1 Peter 4, 8 through 9. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Man, this is, this is the time right now that we, we love, we come together. We're, we're even dreaming about our life group ministry right now. It's uh, just, is there a way that we could do life groups, small groups more effectively to help us accomplish the vision of our church, which is Acts 2.42? We want to devote ourselves to the apostles' doctrine, to the fellowship, to one another. Is there a way we could do those things and and the breaking of bread and the prayer? Is there a way that we could accomplish this vision more effectively, including being a little more connected as a church body with one another through that ministry? But if there's ever a time as, as the return is closer, we need to get closer ourselves. And that doesn't mean that we, we don't spend time sharing the love of Christ out in the community and out, but we've we got to be co- committed to that. Third thing, I should just commit to make a difference. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms, if anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. Listen, you've heard me say it here, but serve here and serve there. That's our vision for you. I believe that's God's vision for you. Serve here in this local church, and let's serve out there in the community. Let's serve one another. Let's serve people, showing them the love of Christ. Take the light of the gospel in the darkest places. But here in this local church, are we serving one another? I'm going to say something, and I don't mean to, to, to get you angry with me, but I, I'm, I believe this is, this is important. The local church is God's vision to reach this local community. And we have opportunities for you to serve here. And if you're too busy to serve in the local church, perhaps there's, you're out of balance. Perhaps there's some things... If you're too busy to, to serve in the local church, to find a place to plug in the local church, perhaps there's something that needs to change in the way you use your time. And the fourth and the final thing, worship team, would you come? I should always be ready. Those sitting next to people in the worship team, would you fill in their notes for them? It's really gonna bother them later on. I, I didn't get that last one. Listen, look on the screen, will you? 
I should always be ready. Look on the screen. For the Lord himself, come on, the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with a voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ are going to rise first. Those believers who have already died, like my parents, maybe some of your family members who are already, they're going to rise first. It's going to be awesome. It's going to happen in a twinkling of an eye. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Maranatha, Jesus is coming. Let's encourage one another with these words. Hallelujah. Praise God. Listen, there's only one way to be involved in this though. There's only one way to join the rest of us as we rise to be with the Lord. And that's by giving your life to Jesus Christ. That's by submitting your everything to the Lord. Saying, God, no longer my will, my desire, but yours. Realize that you are a sinner. I am too. All of us were sinners. But while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When he went to the cross, he had you on his mind. He had the billions of people that will ever, ever, ever live on this. He had all of us on his mind. He said, I'm dying on the cross for your sins. I'm coming out of the grave to conquer all this. Death, hell, the grave. I'm conquering it all. Maybe you know truth, but you're choosing right now not to follow the Lord. You're choosing right now not to serve the Lord. What are you waiting for? Are you ready today? Are you ready for Christ to come? Are you prepared for the return of Christ? You know, at, at Pathway, we think of it this way. Um, I can't tell you when Jesus is coming, so we're not really necessarily on the, um, uh, the planning committee. <laughs> we're not like planning. We're, we're on the welcoming committee. And we join with uh, John the Revelator, and we say, even so, Jesus, come, 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 come. We're ready whenever you are. Come, Jesus. Let your will be done. If you have yet give your life to Christ. If you have yet to give your life to Christ, now's the time. Would you close your eyes with me?